have to suck at something before you can be good at it. Welcome to the River of Suck podcast, episode 5. I'm your host, Andy Reiner. River of Suck is real talk about struggles with confidence, self-doubt, and becoming the USU. My guest today is Jeremy Garrett, a member of the infamous String Dusters, a fiddler, a singer-songwriter, and a really nice guy. Hey, Jeremy, and thanks for joining me for this podcast. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me, brother. (laughs) I'm stoked to hang with you today. I first saw you play fiddle and sing with the Dusters in February 2006 at Club Passim in Cambridge, Mass. Wow. I think it's fair to say the Dusters have come a long way since then. We have definitely put a few miles (laughs) on the road for a band, for sure. We've, uh, I guess we've been together now a total of about... 13 years or something like that we've been doing it so a lot of things happen in that time nice 13 years that and now it's 2019 that means i saw you the first year you were a band boom I saw you play with your dad, though, too. So you grew up playing music with your family? Yeah, my dad's a bluegrass musician and uh, plays guitar and bass and sings. He uh, specialized in shape note singing, acapella, church music. And uh, so that's kind of where I got a lot of my my musicality from. But my mom also loved to spin Michael Jackson records and uh, Terrence Trent Darby and other soul singers. And so, you know, I kind of had a pretty good well-rounded music education i guess you could say growing up and uh you know i started playing at you know about age three so my dad would hum fiddle tunes and and we would do that together that was something we would always do he didn't play fiddle but the fiddle i have though he he gave me i guess when he was like 13 or something like that he had a dog that was getting sickly Uh and his uh parents knew that it was time for the end and they didn't want to like tell him. I don't know why they thought this was a good idea, but so they thought while he was away at school, they would take the dog and, you know, take care of what needed to take be taken care of with the dog, and and they brought a guitar back as a <laughs> replacement, and uh, it was I think pretty traumatic for him. And he, uh, but he got way into uh, playing the guitar, of course, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like you know changed his life i guess you could say and uh yeah he met someone down the street that uh she played this violin in the uh uh, philharmonic there in in uh california and she got cancer or something and passed away and her husband had it sitting around and he just like he said he couldn't like have it around because it kind of hurt his feelings or Mm -hmm. whatever like bothered him you know so he walked down the street one day and handed it to my dad and he said you'll know what to do with this so (laughs) that's what the you know it sat in the corner the whole time i was growing up until i was i guess 11 or so i'm big enough to play it so finally that's kind of how i got into it yeah my dad In Idaho, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and stuff, so we didn't take trips to festivals very often. There was the Weezer, mm-hmm. you know, old-time National Fiddlers Contest. That was the big event that we would go to. But even then, I would go there and, you know, play with the the hippies in the sticker bushes, you know, and that was my exposure sure. to, to live music all year long. However you come to music, you know, if you're inspired, that's a good thing. You know, I think my dad definitely had influence over me in the sense that I, I sort of started out like 
drawn more to traditional bluegrass and Mm -hmm. old school, you know, bluegrass gospel stuff, I guess. I really liked that stuff growing up and, and it got into my blood and my soul. And so it definitely permeates from whatever I do nowadays, even still. Yeah, I but, can hear, I can you know, hear it. <laughs> but you, you know, along the way, I also got into Guns N' Roses, you know, and, and uh, Appetite for Destruction was the big record when I was in my <laughs> teens. And I can't believe my mom let me listen to that stuff. You know, it was really explicit lyrics, even more now than probably what you would hear on the radio. <laughs> But, you know, I think she was she was really caring and she just wanted to know what I was listening to and, and she was cool about it, you know. And that had its influence on me too, but I couldn't really see doing that with a fiddle. So it was fairly obvious that, you know, I was going to go down the grass path at least for a while. But, you know, I've done some country and that, that kind of thing too, living in Texas for a couple of years. I went to college down there and played with a guy named Pat Green. So I did sort of the Texas country scene for a while as well and... And got a little more well-rounded when I got away from home, you know, and into the bigger music world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of where I got my start. Let's talk about the River of Suck. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> the River of Suck is a super wide mythical river churning with whitewater rapids, rocks, and thought piranhas. We are on one side. Behind us is our comfort cave where we can avoid risk, but also growth. On the other side, we can see future versions of ourselves running around doing the things we wish we could do today. Only by swimming with the thought piranhas can we make it to the other side towards our impossible seeming goals. You have to suck at something before you can be good at it. The river of suck represents all the hard work we put into accomplishing our goals. Everything happens in tiny increments, and those can be invisible even to us as we're making them. How do you see the river of suck in music or in your life? You know, that's a really good question. As a musician, I dare say this is probably one of the hardest businesses that there is. And most of the time you end up being your own cheerleader, you know, often. (laughs) And you're the only one that will be in your corner cheerleading. And so you have to find a lot of self-motivation. You know, that's the name of the game. And Mm -hmm. that comes from true passion about what you do. And if you really love it, that's a reciprocal thing. I feel like it drives. You won't give up if you really love and believe in what you do. You got to establish that first, I feel like, you know, and in, in that question, you have to sort of measure that for yourself. What is it that you're trying to do? Are you trying to, you know make a living playing music you know (laughs) that's asking a lot man so how are you going to do that how can you get there and and you just try these little steps along the way and definitely you know like most things in life you got to take take things as they come uh you can't prepare for everything you know as you say you maybe you can envision yourself on one side of the fence or you know doing something ultimately what you want to be doing but a lot of times the way life comes to you and you have to be open to it is maybe a little different opportunity that's a little off kilter from what you thought it would be. But yet it's still a really good opportunity and the energy in life is sort of mm-hmm. sending you down that path. So you have to be aware, I feel like, you know, of that. But the obstacles come and they'll never stop coming. <laughs> and you just got to be a total badass. I mean, you got to be Muhammad Ali against the punches, you know, sometimes. And, yeah. and you got to just slug it out. 
And sometimes it seems bleak, and that's the dangerous, you know, times because when you feel like it seems bleak, you know, it's hard to know what everyone else, how that's viewing, and then at that moment it doesn't really matter because it's all about you in that time frame, you know, where your headspace is and, and what you're going to do next. But a lot of times, as they say, you know, the old cliche saying, <laughs> you know, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. Sure. So if you can keep your head in it and, and, and not get the blues too, you know, get sucked down into the blues too much. Uh, a lot of times, if you really believe in what you're doing and you work hard, it'll come out in the end, you know, and, and you'll have some kind of movement in your career. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, for me, it's been never ending. I've been doing this for, you know, 25 plus years, I guess, professionally speaking. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I keep thinking, you know, that I'm going to be successful someday. <laughs> and in other people's minds, I've been successful, you know. So right. there is that, you know, level of where are you drawing that line? What is satisfaction for you? And for me... I'll probably never be satisfied. I'll always be in pursuit of bigger and better opportunities to place my art yeah. in this world, you know. And so uh, I'll probably never give up on that. And so because of that, you know, the energy keeps flowing. You got to look for, for for ways that it goes. And then every once in a while you come up against those those stumbling blocks. There are some rapids, you know, and, yeah. and you got to be able to swim through them. I uh, am really not good at technical things and, uh, and, and a few other things as well that you have to sort of be good at to be a part of this business in the entertainment industry. And so I've surrounded myself with people that are good at those things. And yeah. so that has helped me to be successful, you know, it, just realizing that I really have some kind of mental problem and I cannot do any technical things for some reason on a computer and barely a phone. So because of that, uh, you know, I hand those things off and, and it's been good for me. I'll, I'll play fiddle instead. And that's what I do good and, and do the best. cool man i love that harmony part you do it's awesome <laughs> i almost got the top note i was never good at harmony stuff on fiddle it's weird i can sing harmony better probably than i sing lead but i play lead better than i play harmony you know what i mean well it's all weird. part of a team yeah you get used to a function i guess <laughs> well maybe that's picking your battles knowing your strengths and uh maybe so Going super deep that direction and not worrying about what you can't do. That's but right. knowing what you can't do helps push you towards what you can do. That's right. Which is really cool. Some people just can't decide what to do and then they don't do anything. That's a big that's a big part <laughs> of it. Coming up with excuses to uh stop yourself from doing things, that's the worst. 
Like I made a to-do list the other day that was so big. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything because there was too many things to be done. So I sat there and did nothing Yeah. instead of anything. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you said you're never going to be satisfied. If we were just satisfied with where we were, what's the fun in continuing? If you're just doing the same thing every night, I think that's part of what sends really great artists to the deepest reaches of figuring out who they are and what their art is compared with people who if like if you're just satisfied with who you are the way you can play music the way you can cook food the way that you exist then what's the point of going on so i think that could be negative to some people they're like oh i'm not where i want to be but that feeling of not being where you want to be is the thing that very thing that drives you to push forward absolutely for me it is it I've always been driven in that way, you know, from a really young age. I don't know if that's a personality trait or what, but like, you know, I was, I had my first job when I was 12 years old, you know, earning my own money so I could buy my own, you know, name brand clothing and stuff that, you know, my parents weren't going to buy me that crap, but I wanted it. So they said I could have it if I earned my own money. And I thought, well, if that's all it takes, I'll figure out a way to do that. You know, <laughs> So I was, you know, mowing lawns and doing this and that and buying my own fishing poles at, you know, Mm -hmm. 13, 14 years old. And so early on, I sort of had that work ethic, you know, but yeah, you, it's that drive that you got to have that drive for what you do in life. If you, if you really want to love it and, 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 and grow to love it even more, you know, like I say, I'm, I'll never be satisfied, but the, the, the industry I'm in and the pursuit of what I'm doing as an art form is very satisfying to me. Yeah. You know, it's very satisfying to have things really pay off, you know, to have, you know, my band is pretty successful band. And I feel like we have a long ways to go to, to realize our full potential. But, uh, you know, and I also feel the the same thing. My, My own struggles as a solo artist is even deeper. I feel like I'm going back to the beginning of things and right. rehatching some of this old psychology because, you know, going out there with the string dusters is pretty much, I got to say for me, it's easy. Yeah. I can go out there and just rip fiddle. No problem. And I know all the songs I can sing all my parts. It's easy. Go out there as a solo artist. And now you are responsible for everything. The MC work, the vibe, the, all the instrumentation mm-hmm. the you know, the looping, whatever it is, that's my project. So that's reinvigorated this drive to grow this other thing for me. And yet along the way, I'm experiencing some deep growing pains. You know, it's, it's good for me because you can't help but gain an ego when you get into a successful situation. I don't think anyone can help that. But, you know, so you go back to some other things and it's humbling and you realize, oh, yeah, I'm really when you strip it all down, (laughs) there's none of us that are anything, you know, we're just what we're trying to make ourselves up to be. Mm -hmm. And especially in the entertainment industry, you know, it's all about advertising what you're doing out there, you know, and getting the word out. I'm in the current, you know, floating down and, and there's definitely some boulders and some rapids along the way that I'm having to watch out for, you know, and (laughs) rethink things. And plus, you know, the industry has changed a lot since I did it the last time. Right. You know, so now it's all about, different things than I had learned the whole business, you know, 20 years ago, a different way. So, you know, it's a different ball game nowadays. 
my best playing doesn't happen every day. Do you ever feel like you have days where it's easy, but days where it's harder? You know, it's different for me every day too. I, uh, you know, I feel like if you have the same, if you have a really good axe, you know, a really good instrument that you play on makes all the difference. This fiddle for me has been the thing. I've been really lucky to have come into it. I feel like, and also just have an instrument that is so very responsive to what I do in the way that I do it. And I've, you know, it's taken me some time to get this thing also set up to where, you know, it's right for me and all those Mm -hmm. things. But now after all these years, I've got it pretty dialed in. And I definitely used to have days where it was hit or miss, you know, (laughs) you know, at first, especially, you know, maybe especially when I was first moving to Nashville, you know, I'd have days where I could play really good and other days it'd be okay, you know, and, and, you know, at best or whatever, at least I thought, but I feel like now, I'm more dialed in than ever. Like I feel more confident on my instrument. I mean, I play like, you know, probably on average, like four or five hours a day, Mm -hmm. every single day. That's awesome. Uh, Either on, you know, radio shows during the day or, you know, the three hour shows that the dusters do a night plus, you know, sound check for an hour (laughs) plus, you know, maybe rehearsal as well. So, you know, it's at least four hours, if mm-hmm. not more, every single day that I'm on tour. And then when I'm home, I'm, I'm playing a lot then too, you know. So just countless hours of practicing and rehearsing. Even though, like, I don't really have formal practice sessions per se on the violin anymore as much. I will on guitar and mandolin. I feel like I have to play <laughs> those a lot to be fluid. But right. fiddle, I've just done, it's like, seriously, for me, I've been talking about as long as I've been playing fiddle. Right. And I'm, I can get better, I know, and I could progress, and I feel like I am. Every so often, I'll hit another plateau, and I can realize I'm definitely better than I was. But, you know, it's also very natural for me, and it's not a struggle, you know, in that regard. If I'm not practicing, but I'm playing a lot of gigs... I'm learning stuff while I'm playing those gigs. I'm trying to stretch my boundaries. I'm trying to play new ideas. I don't want to play the same ideas. I don't want to play the same licks. So I'm trying to grow every time I'm playing, whether or not it counts as like literal practicing. Yeah. Is that is that a part of it for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never... I pride myself in never playing the same thing exactly the same twice. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a I'm in an avant-garde bluegrass band for that very reason. That's mm-hmm. what I started the String Dusters. I was part of that. Yeah, starting it for was to create a situation where I could do my songs and improvise the fiddle how I see fit, mm-hmm. uh, and not you know having to copy someone else's solos that that were that were laid down or whatever you know. So yeah. uh, that's always been you know my interest and in, and so it's driven me to find these situations like the String Dusters you know where I could really be that person mm-hmm. and now my own solo thing where I could really even delve in further into what it is that I do, you know, in that regard. So, yeah, I would just the countless hours though, of just, you know, sound check, trying a different break on something, you know, just because I feel like it, mm-hmm. you know, I'm definitely learning and, and leaping. My mind is ever sort of edging forward on its education of how to get further down the road in music. You know, and, you know, to the point now where it's interesting for me, it's I had an experience that a couple of nights ago playing with the String Dusters at the 930 Club, and we all sort of experienced it. And I'd never have experienced this ever (laughs) before. 
And I've been playing music with the most heavy cats for years, like all these different people. I could go on this huge name list, you know, of all these people that I played music with. Never have I experienced what I experienced with with the band on that night. And it was just, we went in so deep. We were in a jam and we were all improvising. And we we went in so mentally deep. It was the deepest trance. I can't even explain it. I'm, you know, not religious guy or whatever in, in that regard, but I could understand how if you had this experience, you could maybe say it was the Holy Ghost because <laughs> it was a super deep, like spiritual experience as the music was going down. And uh, it was incredible. So there's like a, a deeper tuning, you know, that can happen besides just the, the, you know, the execution of the instruments and playing in tune and time or, or doing what's on your mind, mentally speaking. There's like a deeper mm-hmm. part of it all that I'm yeah. starting to, to get into. And that's really fun. It only took 13 years to get to that right? point. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Why would it take that long? I mean, we've been concentrating so hard and you know playing it's hard it's the best shows we could possibly play all of us trying to play at the top of our game but it finally clicks you know (laughs) it's just cool it's just that to me it's refreshing because it just shows me that there's even more dimensions to go down you know that yeah we haven't hit them all for you know yet sweet so in terms of your solo show though you mentioned that's less comfort zone that's do you feel like you're rediscovering who you are as a person, as an artist, as you set out and do solo shows? Yeah, you know, like I said, my role, and my role can be whatever I want it to be in the String Dusters, but it tends to be a role, and that is a fiddle player and the mm-hmm. singer and, you know, songwriter, but, like, I play fiddle, you know, and now it's become to, and I love it. It's so much fun, but it's also kind of easy, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tour for three weeks and play you know, three hour shows a night. I don't mean that's easy. And I don't mean like being away from home is easy, but like (laughs) while I'm on stage and I'm playing the music, it's easy. It's become easy for me. And I don't even get nervous now at all. It's just pure joy for me. It's fun, easy, but doing my own solo thing has woken me back up to the, to the possibilities of being nervous and (laughs) having butterflies and, you know, oh, and now, but I've done, you know, probably 60 solo shows now, and that's starting to diminish and go away, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm getting more and more confident with that. But I liked that about what it was doing for me, you know, mm-hmm. and putting me on that edge. And I feel like that's sometimes really the best music that can be made is when you're making it on that edge. Aside from practicing your abilities and getting good at what you do, you have to do that, too. But I'm talking about going deep into music. Like, if you can play... With that edge, you know, not long ago, I had a little funk band uh, set up where I didn't know any of these musicians. And it turned out to where it just had some of the most fun I've had playing music in forever because it was just so uh, avant-garde. You know, it was just like anything could happen. And I was just playing on, on that edge the whole time, but just having just the most joy, you know.
This podcast is brought to you by one of my great inspirations in the world of music and life, a violinist named Christian House. Wherever you are in the world, you can listen to his Creative Strings podcast, a perennial exploration of intersections between creativity, music education, string playing, DIY music business, and culture. If you dig the musicians on River of Suck, you'll love Creative Strings podcast. So tune in wherever you listen for more amazing and diverse ideas. If you are a string player looking to bring your game to the next level, consider attending the annual Creative Strings Workshop near Columbus, Ohio. I have received flack for the following sentence, but I'm repeating it here for my trusted listeners because it is the truth. Creative Strings Workshop is the best week in the universe for improvising on a string instrument. I will be there teaching fiddle styles, improvisation, and jamming skills. Learn more at christianhouse.com. Let's talk song lyrics. I've had the privilege in preparing for this episode by listening to some of your newest solo music, which is currently top secret. One song, Going in Circles, had some lyrics that I thought related to the River of Suck. Lyrics for a songwriter uh, can be a, a, a few different things, I guess you could say. And for different writers, it's different things. You know, some writers are political, you know, politically motivated writers, uh, some writers, you know, write children's songs and whatever. You know, you, everybody has their their specialty. You know, for me, I, I would like to write songs about things that I've been thinking about, you know, just things I've been mulling over in my brain trying to work through. Things that I think other people will be able to identify with, you know. Um, mm-hmm. For me, writing is really, for me first, it comes from a sense of healing maybe. Uh, sometimes, or a sense of wanting to write about something happy or wherever it is that I'm coming from. But it's, you know, usually starts out like as an inward sort of developed feeling. People have responded to other songs I've written in the past. And so because of that, I have this air while I am writing those lyrics down that how can I impart what I'm trying to say here in a way that will help someone, you know, or besides myself. And it helps you work through those feelings. Yeah, totally. Here's a line here. Going in circles, never finding a straight line makes you feel like a lost cause. That's how the song begins. But by the time you get to the chorus, if you're going in circles, start to dance with nothing to lose, you can take a chance. So for me, there's like an emotional change that happens in the course of that song where you start out being really frustrated, but then you start to pick yourself up. Well, that's the thing, you know, when you really boil it down, you know, and you're in the swamp of life sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to get dredged down. And I tend to write about things like that because I'm probably, I don't know, I'm a different kind of cat, I guess, in that way. Like I'm often deep in thought, you know, and I'm, I'm often melancholy or <laughs> be trying to be philosophical with my thoughts. I, I'm not trying to be. I just, you know, I just am. So with those things going on through your head, you know, you you got to gather all those things and have them kind of make sense. You know, hopefully you're imparting, like I said, an idea that someone's going to be able to identify with, you know, and, and sort of glom on it. It turns out after you write a song, you'd be surprised how many people can identify with exactly what you were feeling that day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of gives you a perspective as a writer, like how powerful that tool is, you know, and, and how important it is to sort of take that responsibility, in my opinion, 
and uh, use it for good. Do you think there's any solace in knowing that you're not the only one that experiences those feelings? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, so oftentimes you'll, as you know, a human in life, you think you're the only one, right? <laughs> and then you come to find out there's all these other people that struggle with the same things. And that's the human experience. And it's hard for us all to figure out how to share that together, especially with all the distractions that we have going on <laughs> in today's world. Yeah. But music is one of those ways that we can share that. And so, you know, that that is that that woven thread that goes through all of us. It's part of that, you know, and, and we can share things on that thread and people, you know, can pick that up however they want. You know, me, lyrics for me, I always feel like can mean something to me and they might not be the same thing for someone else, you know, and I try to, when I write my songs, I try to come from a standpoint of what I'm trying to write about, but also be sort of vague so that people can internalize that, how they see fit, you know, how they feel that that lyric is hitting them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like in most of my songs, you know, like Circles, I co-wrote that actually with Donna Ulysses, who's okay. a great bluegrass writer too. And uh, we wrote that together. And uh, I really like writing with girls <laughs> because you know, they're just better at feelings than men. And it's, it's just the truth. You know, and that's probably, maybe that's sexist. I shouldn't say that anymore, but it, that's just how I kind of, like, well, they're, they're more used to talking about it. That's it. Or, or putting it into words or whatever in, yeah. a, in an elegant way, you mm -hmm. know, and, and whereas men maybe act out their feelings more or whatever, but I feel like, you know, it's a really awesome experience to write with a, a talented uh, lady writer. And so I feel like she brought a lot to that song, but also I always try to have these things where I'm writing in, about the point that I'm trying to make. But then if it's dark on the verses, I want it to go somewhere positive, hopefully on the choruses. Cause mm -hmm. I always want to leave people with a message of hope. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's, <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> doesn't work out that way in the murder ballads. eh? That's right. <laughs> Tragic life probably it doesn't work out that the way. other direction. <laughs> I feel good. I felt strong about that track and that song. I decided to make it my title track, Circles, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking to a scientist named Pacifica last week, and she was saying how when she gets stuck, that's when she starts talking to other people. So I, I feel like with songwriting, working as a team, it's almost comforting in a way because you don't have to have all the answers. That's right. It makes it way easier, you know. I'm kind of, I'm not a lazy person, but sometimes <laughs> I kind of get in lazy modes. And songwriting is one of those things, I feel like, because if I sit by myself and try to write, it's really hard. And so... Yeah, I can spend some time and maybe I'll come up with some cool riffs and a melody or something, but maybe I won't spend, I won't finish the song maybe in mm -hmm. that session, you know, when I should just sit there for three hours. But you got somebody to write with, you have an appointment that like keeps you on task, you know, mm -hmm. and you're with someone else that's creative. And, and uh, almost every time I've ever written with someone else, I feel like it's been better than what I probably could have came up with on my own. Though I've written some songs that I'm proud of <laughs> on my own, but I just feel like, you know, co-writing just adds this other aspect. Uh, there's all kinds of possibilities from it too. Like you say, it makes it easier. I mean, you don't have to have all the answers because someone else hopefully will have some. Yeah. 
And, uh, but it also, you know, in business wise, it helps you cross market your songwriting, maybe a little bit more, you know, spread more things around. And it's just you trying to show your songs to everybody, you know? (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of benefits from co-writing, but I really enjoy, I probably, you know, I've written hundreds of songs now and more than half of them have been co-writes. Oh, cool. I'm a way better guitar player than I am a Mando. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it like cool to suck at something once in a while? No, actually, <laughs> it's not. I hate sucking at stuff. I, I know, but it's good. But you got to do it at home first. Yeah, and then oh, you yeah. can bring it out in public. No, that's for sure. I actually I sucked real bad at looping and all <laughs> that, and and guitar, frankly, and mandolin too, and trying to. I mean, I was okay. I always had some some chops on those things, but like until the last like maybe you know, five years when I really started to develop the solo project idea, then I realized, oh, I got to get my skills way up from where they are in order to pull this off. And that's been the best thing, like having that, you know, drive again. I mean, you can get lazy, you know, in any profession, I guess you just roll, roll along and you can just write it out if you want to, maybe, you know, I mean, (laughs) show up and make it up. Although entertainment, you got to do kind of have to keep it on the edge these days if you want to survive. You know, in the long run, so you got to keep your game up. Yeah. Uh, but you know, finding new ways, like you know, in implementing a loop for a musician that's a trad musician that really has a hard time working a computer or phone, that's kind of a big deal, you know. So I had to work that out for a while, <laughs> and uh, I finally feel like I have my act together on that, you know, and and I'm a little more relaxed about it all for sure. But the thing I love about looping pedals is it really amplifies your personality. Anyone who does it sounds more like themselves than they did before. Yeah. It brings out everything that's good in your playing and everything yeah. that's bad in your playing. It's incredible I, <laughs> what it will do for you. You think you have good timing, but you don't. Until you <laughs> yeah. lay down a loop and you realize you have to, you know, well, the way I've been laying down loops, like two verses and a chorus sometimes yeah. to loop that and still be in time when it comes back around. And that's yeah. a long time to sort of go. So you have to like approach timing a different way. I've definitely am a way better musician after sort of using it and putting it into play with my instruments and stuff. I've had to, you know, compensate, gotten better at certain things. It's definitely made me way better for sure. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't always easy. No. That's all I'm saying. No. Yeah, you're right. Wasn't Gotta suck easy. at something before you can be good at it. That's right. Just embrace, embrace the suck. Gotta ride that out. Doesn't mean we don't want to be awesome and sound great on stage. Just means we came from somewhere and we saw something in the distance. I want to be playing solo looping shows. Yeah. You know. Yep. Now we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna figure it out. But yeah, some it's it's nice when you can suck at something not in front of other people. I think that gives you a freedom that you don't have when you're if you're trying to figure it out on stage. It's like. Definitely a little more nerve wracking for sure. Uh, you got to spend a lot of time in the basement trying to do yeah. your work first and then take it to the people. But people don't see that work that yeah. you put into it. They no. just see the final product. Right. The point of this podcast is about that process and like we all go through it. So. That's right. <laughs> you can't get good without trying to get good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You got to spend some time in the trenches, man. I know a lot of people, including myself, have been discouraged at certain points when we hear people who sound amazing and we're like, oh, man, I'll never be like that. But 
figure for me, it's been finding, okay, phrasing. I have something to say. Maybe I'm going to play more rests here. Yeah. You know, you can actually say more using less notes. That's sometimes. right. So, well, you know, it's important to keep in mind too. There's always somebody better than you. And they're, if they're how, if they're not in the older generation, you know, like a lot of us fiddle players look up to Stuart Duncan, you know, yeah, those guys all get older too. And their, their abilities will fade with time, just like ours will. And, and just there, and then there's younger people coming up through the ranks that are going to be killing us on our stuff that we're <laughs> doing. I mean, I was thinking, I was listening to a Tony Rice interview today and you think about how far that leap was from Jimmy Martin to Tony Rice. Mm-hmm. And then think of what's going to be going on, you know, now with these kids coming up, this, yeah. it's, it's, it's probably going to be mind boggling with what they're going to come up with. So, but you know, just, yeah. you got to realize there's always somebody better. And you can't concern yourself with that because there's a place in the world for everyone. You know, there's a place in the world for Stuart Duncan. There's a place in the world for Ron Stewart. There's a place in the world for Jeremy Garrett and Jason Carter. Every, you know, yeah. people like all those people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's okay to like more than one guy. If it was all just up to one guy, maybe Stuart Duncan would be that guy. But, <laughs> you know, I'm glad it's, it's not. Um, luckily, there's a lot of tastes in the world and not everyone likes his playing, you know, and, and, and yeah. So, you know, they might like mine better or, or you but, know, but vice here versa. at the River of Suck podcast, we endorse Stuart Duncan's playing. Yeah, well, I sure. endorse it very much, too. So <laughs> uh, he's definitely, you know, amazing. But, you know, and, and you go through phases in your life, too. Like right now, uh, as far as like my fiddle playing and how I feel about it personally, yeah. like I've gotten to a point where fiddle feels more natural than it ever has for me. I feel like anything that I can think of in my brain, I can play. You know, in your own voice. Yeah. Given the, you know, you know, some warm up and whatever, like, you know, in in the moment of a show with the adrenaline going, I really feel like I can execute anything I'm trying to execute. And it's, it's like almost easy for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is probably the, I'm probably like the strongest player I've ever been right now, you know? And I feel good about that because I've definitely gone through, you know, peaks and valleys in the past, you know? Where do you see yourself in 10 years, your relationship with the fiddle? Well, I hope it's even stronger, you know, than it is now. I mean, uh, the good thing about fiddle is it's a little lighter on your hands than some of the other instruments are. And so luckily for us, you know, there's some really old, badass fiddle players, you know, Mm -hmm. that can do it all the way into like their old age, you know, because it's not so hard on the body. Right. That's that's something I have. I feel like I can look forward to because I really love to play fiddle and I want to play at this level as long as I can, you know, and I feel like. I'll be able to do that so far. That's cool. where all the signs are pointing for me, you know. And that feels good to be to a place like that. I didn't always for sure feel like that, man. Like, you know, not even a year ago, I probably didn't feel like that. You know, it's like. Oh, man. So that's like a. It's a recent thing. Re- yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I always felt, you know, I'm, I always <laughs> felt good about my plan or yeah, cocky yeah. and try to keep my ego up to keep myself going in the industry. But like really now. You know, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to brag about it or anything. I just feel I'm just trying to share it with your people that that I just feel like personally where I'm at, like, you know, I feel like I'm at the top of my game and, and everyone will probably feel that at some point in their life. You know, it's, and you may think you are at one point, but like a couple of years down the line, it gets even deeper, you know. But I think what you're saying is the top of the top is not being the best person in the world at the fiddle, but That's being right. able to express your own self in the way that you feel it. Well and said, have it come yeah. out on the instrument. That's right. That's, That's so right. cool. Yeah. So, 
So what would you tell aspiring artists or people or musicians? If you have a dream and you really believe in it, you'll figure out a way. That's the cool thing about the human mind, you know, like I'm a 40 year old man. And I went back to learning how to do like looping techniques and stuff, you know, and I was proud of myself after figuring out how to use one of those machines, you know, like, Hey, uh, you can teach an old dog new tricks, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that made me feel good, you know? And if you see something and you really believe in it, you can, you can do it. I'm a believer in that. You know, there, I used to have this poster hanging on my wall and it's like this, 80s sort of themed vibe with the skier coming down this hill and <laughs> and, and there's a, a caption that says there is no challenge that cannot be met and there is no dream that cannot be achieved and i just i don't know where i came into this poster but i had it hanging on my wall basic and i still anywhere i move i put this thing out on my wall somewhere so i can see it nice and it's always been super motivative for me just to mm-hmm. keep those thoughts in my brain and just just realizing that I'm not a quitter and I'd never give up, yeah. you know? And if you can keep yourself, you know, if you, if you really are that way, you'll be successful. You'll make it, you know? I noticed a cellist just hanging out in the river of suck podcast studio. So I asked my fiance, Joy Adams, if she would join in on the fiddle tune squirrel hunters. Thank you. 
people who just met you on this podcast where can they find your music and how yeah. do they find you well you know you can always go to that old google and search the string dusters and it'll take you there at our schedule or go to our website you know any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff and uh you want to see a live show you can find out about us there and listen to our music uh, myself you can check out my website which is garrettgrass.com also have another website which is fiddlescience.com and you can go to you know those and they'll tie together and they'll kind of show you what i'm doing what i'm into lately but uh you know trying to steer people to spotify these days you know go listen to me there and and sign up to be a listener you know and and just check it out see if you like some of the other stuff i've done i've got a whole bunch of new music that's really i feel like more signature my thing Mm -hmm. to be for quite some time coming down through the pike so i'm excited to share that with everybody when's that new solo album coming out that'll be coming out probably either late august or the first of september somewhere in that neighborhood late summer and if you're in the future, this is 2019. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever said crossing the River of Suck would be easy or comfortable, so I want to thank you for tuning in and giving it a chance. I'll be back with the new episode every month, forever, so make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Visit riverofsuck.com for all the latest updates on future episodes and guests. Become a member of the River of Suck swim team to support this podcast and access exclusive content, extended interviews, and high-quality downloads of music recorded for this podcast. My name is Andy Reiner. And I'm Jeremy Garrett. Till next time, keep swimming. Yeah.